Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about stink bugs and a number of other crop pests on today's show. If you'd like to call in to discuss anything that's going on on your farm, or if you've got any questions for us, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. Well, we are live in the Morton studio today, and we are now in the final month of 2019. And I, for one... I'm going to be super happy when 2019 is over. Darren, I, I saw a statistic this morning that I thought was interesting, and I I have to assume this came out from USDA, uh, but I don't remember, so don't quote me on this, but it seems like it said farm income in the United States in 2019 was going to be the highest in six years. It's up 10% from last year, and <laughs> a lot of that coming from over $20 billion worth of government payments. I mean, it's not... It's not how anybody wants to uh, wants to make their money on the farm, that's for sure. But certainly with all the trade negotiations going on and agricultural commodities being uh, some of the things that are uh, being... It's a pawn in the yes, whole trade war. Go. And yeah, that made so, it tough. And right. then a, a record amount of prevent plant acres, too, happening at the same time. What a... Oof, what a, what a disaster. Yeah, 2019 was no fun all the way through, just just tons of stuff that was a challenge so 2020 definitely hoping hoping for much better so anyway i was talking to an agronomist this morning and he said yeah you know i i start getting all worried because i hate to even talk to farmers when times are so bad and i'm like well yeah times are tough but what's your job is it i mean isn't your job to help farmers yep it is I said, well, it sounds to me like farmers need lots of help. If you're telling me that the farmers you're working with are having a tough time, well, that sounds to me like you should be calling on them more and working with them more. And I think too often um, we we get into our own little box as farmers. And, you know, we're just trying to figure out our way through things, maybe on our own. But there are a lot of a lot of good people out there that can help us get through some of those things. And, you know, I guess that's kind of why we do this show, too, is just to talk through some of these issues that there are out there. And I'm not saying that we're always right or anything, but we can certainly provide some ideas for you, even on things like we're going to talk about a little bit today, stink bugs and some of these different crop pests out there. You know, it's really difficult as a farmer uh, because you've got so many varying things you've got to do throughout the year. You've got to be a good equipment operator. You have to be a good mechanic. You have to be a good HR person in some cases. Maybe you have to be a good accountant. I mean, there are just a lot of really diverse skills that you have to have if you're going to be super successful on the farm. And it's hard to be the greatest at every single one of those things. So that's where it's usually a good idea to find some good people that can help you be, or maybe be part of your team or something like that. And it's something Darren and I often discuss with farmers because this agronomy thing, I'm not going to say it's the most complicated thing in the world, but there are certainly a lot of things to know. And yeah, especially when we get to, okay, so like on your farm, you might think about stink bugs. Just I'll just throw this out as an example. Stink, stink bugs might be a common thing and have been a common thing for 30 years. Okay, you're used to dealing with that. But I can just tell you, like on our farm, I had hardly ever seen stink bugs here until a year ago. 
Hardly ever. So, you know, if you've never seen a bug before or a weed or whatever, your your first thought is probably, hmm, is this harmful? How harmful is it? At what point do I need to spray to control it? What should I be doing here? And with with all the different things that are out there, it's just hard to know it all. You know, I, I look at it this way, Brian. No matter what you're trying to be good at, you need to pay attention and you need to be a lifelong learner. And on the farm, things are always going to change. And I could just think over... What seems like a long time to me, but it's a small time in in history, the the time I've been on the farm. And I I just look at the weeds that we were after when we were kids. It was cocklebur, sunflower, Canada thistle. And those are not problems on our farm now. But are we fighting weeds like crazy all the time? Of course we are. We've got different weeds. We've got water hemp. We've got ragweed. We've got mare's tail. These other things that now have become bigger problems. We used to fight corn borers on our farm. Well, we found a good solution for corn borers. Now we've got other problems that are coming up. And you mentioned stink bugs, and it's not a major issue yet, but it's growing. And I've just noticed over the years that when we see one or two bugs, sooner or later we see 10 or 20 bugs and a 1,000 bugs and a million bugs, and it just becomes an issue. So pay attention when you see different things out there. Maybe it's one or two weeds in a field, and you say, huh, I haven't seen those before. Find out what they are and learn about them. And you find out, oh, okay, that's something that's always around here and it's never a problem. Okay, well, that's probably okay. But when you find something that, ooh, that's a big problem two states away, why is it here? And to find that out early, to get it wiped out so you don't let it become a big problem on your farm, that's worth a lot of money for your farm. Yeah, and here's here's the good news that we have for you today. There are very few pests, I don't care if it's a weed, insect disease, there are very few pests that we can't manage very well on the farm, but it starts early. It, it starts a lot of times with either variety selection or what you're doing for a pre-emerge herbicide or seed treatment, those kind of things. So I'm just saying, if you've got issues and you've had issues in the past, then start talking to your agronomy people now about them so you can plan ahead. Just for example, so I mean, as soon as we start talking about things that have moved into an area that people are absolutely panicking over, the first thing that pops into my head is Palmer pigweed. And oh my goodness, being from here in the Dakotas uh, or Minnesota, Iowa, I mean, people are like, oh my goodness, we're getting some Palmer pigweed in our state now and it's the end of the world. And I'm going, are you kidding me? Palmer pigweed's easy to control. Now, granted, it's going to take five herbicides, (laughs) but we can control it. And, you know, it's going to start with a plan, and the plan begins with a good pre-emerge package of herbicides. We want multiple effective modes of action. And so we'll talk throughout the day about some of these different new pests that may be creeping into your area and how best to control them. If you've got any questions for us, again, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? 
Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup ready-to-extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And, you know, we've got a blanket of white snow outside the studio. We're not too worried about insect pests outside right now. So it's a great time to start thinking about next year in our crops. What bugs were problems this year? What are some of the newer pests that seem to be moving around the country uh, that, that you may not be super familiar with yet. And uh, Brian had mentioned stink bugs a little bit earlier that they were pretty new in our area, the upper Midwest, but they certainly aren't new in other parts of the country. So we're bringing an expert on. We've got Dominic Rizik. He's uh, an extension entomologist with North Carolina State. Dominic, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, so uh, I want to ask you about a few different insects that, that you've got in your state and, and uh, get your thoughts on what you're seeing for new things that are that are coming out as well. I wanted to start with stink bugs, though, if that's okay. We, we're starting to see stink bugs up in our area. So far, uh, green stink bugs are probably more common, some brown. We haven't really seen much for brown marmorated stink bug yet. Uh, what are you seeing in North Carolina, and, and what would you advise uh, other parts of the country like where we're at that are starting to see stink bugs on the rise? Well, yes, sure, in North Carolina, they're a historical pest. You know, they've been around in the system for a long time, damaging to many different field crops, and if we have vegetables or fruit out. Um, but in addition, they've been an increasing problem, so historically a problem, but... Um, started becoming more and more of a problem, I'd say, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and it's steadily increased since then. We've seen problems from uh, our native species as well as some invasive species. So you mentioned brown marmorated stink bug, and that's been giving us trouble in certain geographies uh, and, and, and certain crops as well. And I've uh, been hearing kind of the same thing about from, from the Midwest as well, that some of those native species are starting to increase in abundance, and I know you're having uh, troubles in some spots with, with, with the brown marmorated, but as you said, maybe not so widespread yet. You know, if if you're out looking at fields, we always encourage growers, make sure you're scouting and uh, using a sweep net or, or doing some counts out in your field just to see 
what bugs are there? And stink bug is one that we're starting to get a lot more questions in areas that we don't normally see stink bugs of, hey, I'm finding uh, X, Y, and Z bugs that I know I have to spray for. I've also got a few stink bugs. Are you finding some products that are working better on stink bug control than others? Yep. And it, yeah, there are some products that work better for, for stink bugs than others. Um, really glad you mentioned scouting because the, I guess the keys to stink bug management is correctly identifying the stink bug because some products work better on certain stink bugs than others and quantifying how many you have out there because um, they're mobile, they move around in the system. And so they have to be quantified in some way. And then yeah, third, choo choosing the right product and, and, and applying it correctly. But yeah, there's, there's definitely some products that work better than others. Um, kind of in general, things in the organophosphate or the pyrethroid class work, work well. Uh, we have certain species, for example, in North Carolina that even respond differently to certain kinds of pyrethroids. So um, one kind of pyrethroid, bifenthrin, tends to do a little bit better on our brown stink bug. It's species as you shift the service, not similar to the it's just this variolaris that's in the Midwest. So that may be one to watch out for in terms of, of product selection. All right. How about other insects? Are, are you seeing anything on the rise in your state that, that uh, over the last couple of years is becoming more of a problem? Well, we are. I mean, uh, you, you don't grow a lot of cotton up in, in the upper Midwest, but that, that's one crop that's giving us a lot of trouble. You know, we're talking stink bugs today. They're piercing, sucking insect pests, but in general, We've been having more problem from piercing, sucking insect pests. So things like thrips, uh, we have a uh, insect called the tarnished plant bug that's given us a lot of problems on cotton. Uh, we're not exactly sure why that is, but there's just been some changes in the system where we've seen these piercing, sucking insect pests sort of uh, rise in importance in our system. Yeah, I, I was talking about it earlier to start the show. I, I just think over my lifetime on the farm how we've gone through different weeds that we've had challenges trying to control, different bugs that we've had challenges with, and it seems like we're always learning about something new and trying different control methods. The BT products have worked quite well for us on corn borers and uh, corn rootworms and other pests. What are you seeing with the BT products in, in your area? I know we're starting to see some tolerance or resistance building. Uh, are you using some additional methods to try to help preserve those traits longer? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And we sort of had the same experience with, uh, with BT products here in North Carolina for kind of a lot of the big major pests. They're still, I wouldn't say bulletproof, but they sure look like it. Um, you know, uh, Pests that, that you mentioned, European corn borers, pretty hard to find now in corn. Um, one of the big targets in cotton was tobacco budworm, and that's getting kind of hard to find as well. Some of these other pests where, you know, the BT sort of controlled them some, but not all the way, so we would say it was kind of a moderate dose instead of a high dose for it. That's where we've been seeing some resistance. So the big pest for us is, is corn earworm. And so we're seeing a lot of it break through some of the BT corn, which isn't necessarily a yield-limiting problem, but it's a big problem in, in BT cotton. So that's, that's something that's been giving us trouble. Your specific question asked, you know, what are we doing differently to manage it? Really, we're sort of at the, the forefront of, of trying to figure out how we can integrate some of these um, IPM tactics back into the system. You know, we've gone away from, from tillage to no-till, which is a good thing for soil quality, but in doing that, we're not killing bollworm pupa. You know, can we incorporate... Um, you know, some viruses into the system, into our spray system. So we're sort of asking some of these questions right now, but 
But right now we're sort of just scouting and, and, and spraying to control these things. We do have a new uh, BT product on the horizon in cotton that's going to control some of these piercing sucking insect pests. So it's a it's a its targets are thrips and and tarnished plant bug, the, the one I mentioned earlier. So we're expecting that in the next couple of years, and that may change the system as well. We just don't know at this point. Yeah, it is it is good, and this has been my history in agriculture too. There's always been something coming, and maybe it's a few years off, maybe it's a few more, but we always had hope in the you know, in, in the future coming for us. One thing that I'm a little concerned about is the seedling and soil insect pests. We see a concerted effort against neonic products. A lot of, um, a lot of groups are after those products. We've had such good success with them. The, the safety record, at least for humans has been really good. Uh, what are we, what are we seeing for seedling and soil insect pests? Do we have other alternatives out there to the neonics? Yeah, that's that's a great question on those insecticidal seed treatments. Um, you know, my experience in North Carolina is that they're they're very effective when you have the pest present, and it's difficult to tell when you have the pest present. So it's a, uh, in terms of a farmer perspective, it's a pretty good insurance strategy. The downside is with them going out on every single corn acre, you know, we don't know. It's not a matter of if resistance will develop; it's when, and so. I don't see a whole lot of great alternatives on the horizon in terms of, of seed treatments other than neonicotinoids. There are some pretty good products out there. There's some in the diamide class, uh, chemicals called cyanotinoprol or chlorantinoprol. So Lamivia is an example of a, a product now in the market that has that. And they're good, but they have a much narrower spectrum. So they're not getting all the insects that we have. We have a kind of a unique pest here in North Carolina called the southern corn billbug. And the only way you can kill it is with neonicotinoids, and we think we're seeing resistance start to develop for that. And so we don't have a lot of other alternatives out there in the, in the landscape that, that, that we can turn to. The neonicotinoids have been almost a game changer for this pest. You mentioned uh, looking at biological solutions, maybe viruses or other things to help. Uh, I know there's a lot of work going on with that. Is, is NC State doing a lot of that testing as well? Yeah, that, that, that's a good question. You know, I, I can't really speak outside of my department, but I'd say in my department there's not really a lot of work going on in virus testing. Um, there was a lot of work done in the in the 1980s in, in the Mid-South, and there's sort of been a, a revival in that work, so they've done some work uh, recently in soybeans. Uh, we're, we're hoping to do a little bit of that work here in North Carolina. We kind of dabbled in it a little bit. Uh, but, again, the, the BT products were so effective in, in the 90s in the 2000s and really up into, into the past few years that you couldn't get money to solve the problem and you couldn't even find the pest, so it was difficult to work with viruses. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right, and it was the same thing with herbicides when Roundup became so popular. There just wasn't any money out there for the research into to some of the new alternatives as well, so similar, similar problem in just a, a little different area. Uh, Dominic, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck to you here uh, the rest of the year in North Carolina. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. 
Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at mortonbuildings.com. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG Soil Fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. Record bankruptcies and extreme weather. The two biggest threats facing farming today but what if instead of trying to solve these issues separately, we asked how these issues could solve each other? Introducing Indigo Carbon, the first program that pays farmers to remove carbon from the air. Good news for farmers and for the planet. Visit indigoag.com grow to learn more. Indigo, from questions we grow. We know balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. Plus the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit AgriLiquid.com to find a dealer near you. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Ideal for herbicide applications, the ultra-low drifts large air-inducted droplets were designed to eliminate driftable fines without sacrificing coverage. Its thick three-dimensional pattern creates multiple angles for the spray to cover the target. Hypro, helping you spray better. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about stink bugs and other newer crop pests that we're seeing uh, across North America. We'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you want to talk about insects you're seeing on your farm or any agronomic question you may have. Real happy to have Bob Hooten with us with FMC. Uh, Bob, thanks for joining us. You bet. You know, Bob, uh, lots of stuff to talk to you about today. I'll, th- I'll throw this out to begin with. 2019 was such a wacky year. The timing on so many of these bugs was just way off. We were seeing things much later in the season than normal and just popping up in different places. It was tough to get a handle. Well, a lot of our insects come from the south, and, you know, even though we can't know what's happening down south a lot of times, the storms will kick them up into the air, and then they'll come this way. Um, and a lot depends on what kind of conditions they're having in the south. 
some of our stuff up here overwinters, and this year was kind of a crazy year for overwintering. We had a lot of water in some areas, so some things drowned, and it was the second, you know, flush of, of insects coming in. So it's just, yeah, every year is just a, an odd year. All right, so let's talk about, speak about an odd bug. We've been seeing a, a rise in soybean gall midge larvae in plants, and, and they they seem to stick around a little longer this year, too. What are you learning about that in, in soybeans? Are you finding some solutions or, or finding more about the life cycle of that pest? Well, all the universities this past year spent a lot of effort on this particular pest. Uh, it's been around for quite a while, since about 2012. I started investigating it in 2017. Um, at first, I thought it was only in an area about 100 miles around Sioux City, but it's actually spread across five states, and it's it's got a pretty good uh, a foothold right now. Um, it appears that that adult comes out sometime in the middle of uh, early summer, and then it'll start move over to the closest soybean field to it and start spreading across that soybean field. The... Um, haven't had a lot of success in trying to control it because the adult comes out over such a wide period of time. I have some speculations of things that might work or might help. Uh, if you know you had an infested field last year and you're going into corn, say, this year, you know, apply something like Hero on the surface of the soil. That might help thin some of those adults out. Um, we're going to test that this year to see if that works. Um, and then when you get into the soybeans themselves, they're already up. So that fly's going to land on the plant and kind of lay its eggs in along the cuticle of that plant. Um, trying to time to kill those adults to keep them from laying is difficult. If you watch universities, they're going to be tracking when those adults come out. Can't really get anything right now systemically into the plant to kill the larvae. Uh, but you can put some fungicides on once you've got an infestation, try to keep the diseases down. We did that um, back in 2017. We helped protect some of the yield by mixing a fungicide and an insecticide together uh, to spray over the top. But right now, uh, they're just still learning about that pest, but it is spreading, so most farmers need to watch it real close. Yeah, it's definitely one to, if you aren't familiar with the, the soybean gall midge larvae, uh, definitely get online, do a little bit of reading on that, and keep an eye out for it in your soybean plants this year. I've uh, been seeing quite a bit of that now over the last few years, uh, like Bob mentioned, not too far from where we farm. Uh, the other thing, uh, Bob, we saw a lot of aflatoxin this year in corn. Uh, what's What's happening there? What part do bugs play in that? Well, aflatoxin, you know, you have to open up that ear with some feeding uh, for the disease to get in. And we've had genetics in corn for quite some time to control a lot of those Lepidoptera pests that used to feed on the ear tips. You know, you've got the corn uh, earworm, you've got the corn borers, southwestern corn borers, and you've got the uh, western bean cutworm. And all of those are starting to become kind of tolerant to what's out there right now in the genetic line. We're seeing a little bit more feeding, takes a little bit more uh, damage in the plants to kill these insects. And so uh, because of that, we're starting to see aflatoxin levels to go up. And when you have to uh, mix your corn with other corn that doesn't have disease, you know, that, that brings uh, the value of your corn down a little bit. So um, some of these post insecticide applications when you're putting those fungicide treatments out might be very beneficial in, in helping you bring some of that aflatoxin levels down by controlling the pests 
not letting them feed on those ear tips. Yeah, it's it's a big deal, and and I talked to a lot of non-farmers too, saying, "What are you doing with BT, and why are you spraying you know these bugs and everything?" And uh, it's one of the things I like to talk about. If we can keep the bugs out, we can keep diseases out, and and keep uh, healthier products coming off the farm as well. Uh, Bob, we've gotten a number of questions in. Uh, had a couple of questions around armyworm and fall armyworm. What can you tell us about those bugs, and and what are you seeing as successful treatment options? Well, army worm, I like actually Mustang or, you know, Hero has Mustang in it. Mustang is very, very good on army worm. Um, you know, you really need to spray them when they're small. A lot of that's getting into wheat. Uh, some of it's in corn. Uh, you make those applications very, uh, when they're very small in the first, second, third instar, and you'll do a really good bang up job. Uh, Mustang has a little bit of an edge over other cyanopyrethroids on, on the army worm. Fall armyworm, that one's a real booger. Um, that one's tougher to kill. If you get it early in corn, you've got late planted corn, and they get into that corn and go down into the world. Uh, I had many years ago, 30 years ago, we had a gentleman that got infested. If they get down into the world, you're not going to get any chemical to them to control them. So you have to control fall armyworm when it's outside the world. Um, if it's outside, you know, and it's later in the season where they're attacking, say, the ear, then they're much easier to control. I would use a product like Hero because it has a cyanopyrethroid and a biphenylpyrethroid in it, and the pyrethroids will do a really, really good job on that. And Bob, we get a lot of questions around conventional corn as well. What are you doing for rootworm control? What other bugs should we be concerned about, and what timing should we be looking to scout and potentially apply insecticide? All right, for the uh, conventional corn where you don't have rootworm traits, you really need to know how many adult rootworms you had in the field in the fall of the year. You need to keep those thinned down to less than three per plant. The threshold is one per plant when you have to use an insecticide next spring. We have a new product called Steward. It's not real new, but it's new to the fact that people haven't paid attention to it in the past. It's a new class of chemistry. does a very good job knocking down those adults and thinning them out. Then you go to your planting time treatment in the spring. Uh, we've got several options within FMC, but I would use a strong option like Ethos or uh, Capture. Ethos products have a biological in there control diseases too, so uh, that kind of gives you an advantage. You're going to get your wireworms, your grubs, your rootworm, um, but you need to make sure you know what your population is. And uh, if you have no idea what your population is, I would put a, a genetic trait out plus an insecticide because you, you don't really want to gamble. There's no real good rescue options anymore. Your corn, corn's going to get lodged and it's going to go down. Um, so far, we've gotten still pretty good control with the genetic traits, but we need to protect them. So uh, a lot of times I'll use a rootworm insecticide on top of the trait, something like Capture or Ethos. All right, Bob, I uh, got some alfalfa guys asking questions about aphid control, saying they're having a tough time with with some of the earlier generation pyrethroids. Are you seeing better results with certain products? Uh, we've certainly got some resistance on soybean aphids as well. Is that popping up in alfalfa and other crops too? Yeah, aphids are uh, a real tough, tough, tough critter to kill. Uh, first off, you have to get direct contact with them, so make sure whatever applications you're making, that you up the gallonage, you get a lot of droplets, and you get, get them hit. Um, if you get into something like soybean aphids that are pyrethroid resistance, 
you really need to go to uh, dimethoate or chlorpyrifos product. Um, we have stallion out there that's that's pretty decent. So you, you, you have to rotate your class chemistry, get away from pyrethroids if you're in that resistant area. On alfalfa, you know, we're pretty much down to pyrethroids um, to, to control the aphids. And if you really don't have a lot of... Um, if you're in a pea aphid area, your your Mustang Max is going to do a fairly decent job. But if you start getting into any other type of aphid complex, you're going to have to broaden that spectrum and go with the OP. Yeah, there is a lot of tough tough aphids out there for sure. I've been talking with Bob Hooten with FMC. Bob, thank you so much. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Graze on Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Graze on Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit LeaveTheWeedsToUs.com to learn more about Graze on Next. Always read and follow label directions. White mold, sudden death syndrome, root rot. If you raise soybeans, it may seem like you have all the cards stacked against you when it comes to disease. But did you know there is a new cost-effective seed treatment which can help prevent all three? Heads Up Seed Treatment offers a new proactive approach for dealing with fungal and bacterial diseases. Compatible with other seed treatments, hedge your bet against disease this spring. Ask your dealer for Heads Up today. To locate a dealer, visit headsupst.com. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2Save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agri specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And we have reached the Ag PhD mailbag time. We've got a number of emails that we want to get to and respond to. Also, uh, answering your tweets. So you can find us, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Uh, our our emails, uh, you can send us to or send it to uh, radio at agphd.com. We'll get those emails. And of course, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. We're in the studio. We'd love to chat with you. Uh, and if you call, we'll get you right on. Uh, let's go first down to Nebraska. We've got uh, Jared in central Nebraska. And he said, I'm 30 years old, got a wife and a little boy, another child on the way. Hey, congratulations, Jared. That's awesome. Um, he said, I, I uh, enjoy your show. I like listening to Brian talk. The knowledge and confidence in his voice is comforting to me. Wow, that's awesome. Thanks, Jared. Well, maybe he was confusing me for you anyway. Uh, so he, prob- you know. he probably was. Who knows? <laughs> uh, anyway, he said, I trust Brian. I've never met him in person, but I just can relate to some of the things he says. But I want to focus one question. I knew there had to be a but here. Uh, the NRCS. I believed Brian when he said the NRCS wants to help the farmer, but Brian's wrong. I don't feel like they're here to help us. I don't feel like they care about the average farmer. I feel like they'd prefer all ground to be grass and wetlands for the birds. And I'm serious when I say this. Uh, I've been been battling these guys and... uh, just doesn't uh, he, he goes out with a little bit of a story here just saying he's, he's really had a hard time so to yeah. the fact that he doesn't trust them he just thinks they want wetlands uh, but he's, okay. he's looking for some help all right yes and and this is one thing that we do talk about on a fairly regular basis so for example we'll do a tiling clinic this winter um, right at our field day site at the Morton Center. Love to have you join us for that. And we do have actual NRCS people there uh, to talk about certain things, their rules, that kind of stuff. But I'll give you the lowdown on on what I would suggest. Well, and Jared, and Jared how you, says, how here's his example, and he said, that. address this one. He said, we've got some, some uh, ground that we want to tile. It's yep. been in production for at least the last 35 years. Yep. And on a year like 2019 that has... So much rain in our area, there's water in between the rows, and they say, nope, can't tile it. Okay, so first of all, to the comment of NRCS is basically, let's just put it bluntly, working against us. I I would say on the national level, I, I don't agree with that. On the local level, I don't know who you have for a local person or even a regional person. And so... The, it's it's very common in any walk of life, in any job, for a person to let their individual personal feelings start entering into their job as opposed to just doing the job and following to what it's supposed to be. So where I'm going with this is if you start having issues with the local or regional people, you just have to keep appealing it all the way up. Now, let's also keep in mind, you can always go out of the government program if you want to. And also, the government, it, it, a, lot of, a lot of people think that you have to prove something is not a wetland in order to tile it. It's actually the opposite. And this has been told to me directly by NRCS people. No, the NRCS has to prove that something is a wetland 
So if you go tile it, they have to prove it is a wetland in order to kick you out of the, the, the program, okay? Uh, and until it is proven, you don't lose any government payments. Anyway, I'm not trying to create an argument or start any fight here. We want to work together with NRCS as much as possible. But what I always say to farmers is you want to try to get the ground ready to go and have NRCS come out when things are looking good. So when we were back in the dry years of 2012, 2013, first half of 2014, those were great years. Okay. And it's really hard to say something's a wetland when you haven't had rain in three months. You know what I mean? So I, I guess what we always talk about is we're not trying to drain or, or encourage people to go draining duck ponds. What we are talking about is I don't believe there is such a term as farmable wetland. How can it be farmable and be a wetland? That, that's two completely contradictory terms. Either it is a wetland so it can never be farmed or it is uh, farm ground. And that's it. It's one of the two things. So anyway, if you just keep working on it and just keep fighting, and I know it's frustrating. So I've been through this too. It just takes some time. The thing that is just as frustrating for many farmers is working with certain neighbors because certain neighbors may not understand exactly what you're trying to do, how tile works, why tile works, that tile is a good thing for the environment and, and so on and so forth. So that's why we do tiling clinics uh, to try to help guide you through some of these things. I certainly feel for you that you're having issues there. I would just tell you, especially when you've got the proven history that, hey, I farmed this for 35 years in a row, how can it possibly be a wetland? You're in the right. So just keep working. And if there are specific questions, anything we can help you with, uh, we're more than happy to do that. Hey, thanks a lot, Jared. Really appreciate the question. Uh, I get one from John here, and he said, I, I really appreciate your ag communication platform. Thanks for what you're doing. I used Neil Kinsey's lab for some soil sampling. With his recommendations, it recommends broadcasting gypsum, copper sulfate, and zinc sulfate. What are the rules for these products and incorporation or in-crop broadcasting, i.e., can I broadcast the zinc, copper, or gypsum into hard red spring wheat, soybeans, or canola after emergence? Or do I need to broadcast them and incorporate them before I seed? Now, the reason I ask is this spring is going to be very busy. We have urea and potash to broadcast uh, before the air seeder, and we just don't want to go over the field so many times before seeding. Um, but uh, the difference in variable rates on zinc, copper, gypsum, uh, etc., well, I, I can't do that with one bin in my spreader. Okay, I understand what you're saying because we have a similar issue here on our farm. I would encourage you to try to get out there as the last of the snow is melting off. So if you've got some mornings where the ground is frozen, go, go spread stuff then. Uh, don't do it now uh, because your ground's going to be frozen for three more months. Well, wait, where is he from? Uh, doesn't say. Okay. <laughs> I was just about to say your ground's going to be frozen for three more months. I could be talking to somebody in Texas here, or it could be somebody in uh, central Canada. So I don't know where we're at exactly. But the point is this. We'd really like to see you get that stuff out there before you seed. And here's the main reason why. Any investment you make on your farm, you would like to get as much out of that as possible, right? Well, if you think about copper and especially zinc, they don't move very well in soil at all. So if you lay them on the soil surface, even if you get 30 inches of rain or even 50 inches of rain, 
the odds that they're going to move down more than an inch into that soil, pretty slim, really, really slim. So I, I, I would like to get them on and I would like to till them in if you're going to broadcast. Okay, if you're going to go out and band, I would put them down into, get them down into the ground. You don't want to lay them on the soil surface. So anyway, that's that's the number one reason why I would do that. Now the question is, his question was, is it safe to broadcast it over the top? And he said wheat, soybeans, and canola. By the way, um, I, I okay. So I I would just tell you. There would be some days and some times of those days where it probably would be safe for you to do that. And you wouldn't see the phytotoxicity, the crop response. And so you could probably get by. The The crop would have to be dry and would have to be small. Okay, I wouldn't do that because here's the thing. Well, we know how to get the right thing to happen it, it just doesn't always happen. In other words, you say, okay, things look good now. Well, all of a sudden, a little rain shows up, and now you've got issues because some of that product is going to stick on the plant, and you got a mess. The last thing you want to do is spend money, and then it actually costs you money. So I absolutely would not put copper sulfate or zinc sulfate broadcast across my wheat, soybean, or canola field if it's me. Okay, uh, On the gypsum, you could gypsum is just calcium and, and sulfate so it's not as big a deal you could broadcast it again in crop would i do it no way i still think you've got a slight slight chance for phytotoxicity so i wouldn't do that i'd try to get all of them out up front like i say i do them late winter early spring depending on where you're at when the ground is just starting to thaw out and you'll probably have real great success well stay tuned we'll get to more of your questions next You know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid Fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. AgriLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agriliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. There's a new authority in town. New Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines the best-in-class Group 14 PPO herbicide with the newest Group 15 herbicide for lasting residual control of water hemp, palmer amaranth, kochia, pigweed, and other tough, resistant weeds. This exclusive liquid premix of single-application chemistries protects your soybeans from pre-plant to harvest. 
It also protects your bottom line. Authority Supreme Herbicide qualifies for the agronomic and economic incentives of the FMC Freedom Pass program. Rule your soybean fields with more authority than ever before with Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC. More powerful preventative control isn't on the horizon, it's here. Visit your FMC retailer or fmccrop.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions, restrictions, and precautions for use. Authority Supreme Herbicide is not registered for sale or use in California. FMC and Authority are trademarks of FMC Corporation or an affiliate. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor Herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. Right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, if you have an agronomic question for us, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Brands, jump into a soil test here we got from Michael in Iowa. Uh, he's uh, east central Iowa. Uh, he said, I just received some soil tests back from Midwest Labs on five-acre grid. Some numbers surprisingly better, some not so much. Uh, I attached my soil tests here and also a chicken litter test. I'm just wondering if you could offer some suggestions. Our farm was all corn last year. In 2020, uh, there will be part in soybeans and part back to corn. Um, this will be the first time that I've gone continuous corn on any ground. Plan to apply three and a half tons of this chicken litter on the corn ground, two tons of litter on the soybean ground. Additionally, we're spreading some commercial fertilizer across the entire farm, 100 pounds of MAP, 300 pounds of potash, seven pounds of boron, supposed to give actually one pound of actual boron. Uh, 22 pounds of elemental sulfur, supposed to deliver about 20 pounds of actual sulfur. Now, I'm wanting to build the soil fertility the best I can over the next few years. Looking for suggestions. Hey, thanks, Michael. Now, Michael's got uh, another question, too, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay, so first of all, with a lot of the soil tests that we get in, it's hard to comment on... Uh, it may, it's hard to make one statement and say, all right, across the board, you need to lime, you need to raise your potassium, you need to raise your whatever, manganese, okay? And the reason why is because there's a lot of variability. So just for example, I'm just looking through and he sent us three pages worth of soil test results. Now, yes, this may be all in one field, but it shouldn't all be managed the same. And here's just one of the reasons why. Because as I'm looking at it, I'm seeing soil pH as low as 5.6, but I'm also seeing soil pH as high as 7.7. Well, the 5.6 could use a little bit of lime. doesn't need a lot, but it needs a little bit. And the 7.7 absolutely should not get any more lime. 
So we got to be really careful about what we're going to do for recommendations there. And we always look at the pH first. And I thought it was interesting. He mentioned all these different nutrients, and that's great. But we got to talk about pH. pH is the most important thing that there is on the soil test. It's more important than anything else. And the reason why is because, in, well, part of the reason why is nutrient availability. It also has a lot to do with soil life. I mean, pH is just tremendously important. And, and it can be more so depending on the crop you're raising. So, for example, alfalfa likes a pH around 7, whereas blueberries would like the pH down near 5. That's a big difference. So we, we need to kind of understand what crop we're talking about. Well, for him, he's corn and then corn, soybeans, just depends. So we'd like that pH probably, I mean, if I had one choice, it'd be like 6.3. Okay. Anyway. So he said, and you might have heard this, 300 pounds of potash, plus he's going to throw chicken litter out there and you go, whoa, he's putting a whole bunch of fertilizer on. Well, here's the reason why. Because most of his potassium levels are low, but he does have some K that is 4.9% in the base saturation test, but he's got some as low as 1.9. So here again, if we're going to put it all across the whole farm, is it going to hurt anything on that 4.9? No. But is it going to give him as much, as positive a return on investment as the 1.9, no. Yeah, I'd rather take so, those pounds and build up some of those low numbers up into the fours. Right. And that's what I'd rather do. Yeah. Now, if you say, well, look, I own the ground. I don't really care. Everything could use more because a 4.9 is not like it's super high. That's just uh, that's well, almost on, bare minimum. Hold on, because there's something else with that 4.9. Oh, go ahead. Look at where that came from. That came from the fence row. And I thought that was quite interesting that that in the fence line, he started out, I mean, in, in ground they haven't been farming and it hasn't been touched, they started off with about 5% base saturation K. And a lot of times people say, oh, you guys are nuts about talking about we need at least 4% base saturation potassium. Look at what's in your fence line. Here's what it was before we started farming. It was 5 or 4.9 in this case. Right. So it Now just we're shows, down to 2. Right. So it just shows that we're removing, or at least for this farmer in this field, he over the years has removed more potassium than he has applied. Well, you can't do that. Otherwise, this is what happens. And I just find it interesting because I talk to farmers all the time that say, I want to leave my ground in better condition for the next generation. Well, are you serious about that or is that just talk? Because in a lot of cases, it's just talk. Because what I typically see is exactly this. And I'm so happy that he did send the fence row test in along with the rest of the field. Anyway, in the field, the highest level is 4.4. So yeah, I, I'm totally with Darren saying I'd rather put more dollars to where it's like 1.9 on K as opposed to 4.4. Yeah, we see the but, same thing in phosphorus. We've got yep. some uh, P2 levels as high as 90 and as low as single digits. And that's quite a variance. And, and by so, P2, that's uh, the strong Bray test. That's um, what's available today plus what's hopefully going to be available yet this year. Yeah. And so I, I look, Michael, first of all, great job getting out there, taking some samples, trying to get to know the ground and trying to work on it and also being realistic about it, saying, you know what, I'm going to do this over a period of a few years. I think that's a great strategy. What I would definitely look at and what Brian's talking about here is doing some variable rate application and trying to invest some dollars in some areas of the field yes. that, that we could probably get a better return on investment quicker. Now, here's one other thing. I've talked a lot about how on our farm we've gone to one acre grids. 
I'm not going to long-term probably do one-acre grids, but what I want to do is kind of even the soil out. If I can even the soil out a little bit, then that reduces my need to have such extreme, uh, such an extreme amount of soil tests. And it's kind of the same thing here with this five-acre grid thing. We want to even the fields out at least a little bit. But anyway, uh, I, I guess the only couple of things that would be missing that, that I see are I feel like the zinc is still a little bit low. We've got some that's one part per million or barely over a part per million and we could use maybe a little bit more of that there's not a tremendous amount of zinc in that chicken later there's some but not a tremendous amount so maybe we could go just a little bit more and the boron kind of the same deal there um, I'm fine doing a pound that's going to start getting you on a very 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 slow build program hopefully you don't leach it out of the soil too quickly we've got medium to heavy textured soil so I would guess it'll be there for a little while but anyway I'd start taking a look at some of these micros just a little bit more including zinc copper and boron but otherwise overall pretty good plan all right michael uh, thanks for the Did you soil say you had one testing. other question well you had the soil test you had the chicken litter what you think about the chicken litter and and that program i like using chicken litter i mean when you sure. look at what there is for fertility you're going to build everything up so it's one of those things if you're going to spread a flat rate with that you can do your variable rate with your commercial fertilizer to try to get to where you want to be for a total program yeah the number one thing that i would say is you've got to keep in mind or, or you've got to look at your salt levels. And one of the things you didn't test on your soil test was salt. You didn't test the sodium. You didn't test the soluble salts. And I would start doing that if I am regularly applying any form of manure, chicken litter, anything like the compost, whatever it is. We've got to be really careful about salt. So I like the plan and I like the idea, I always do, of doing part manure and part commercial fertilizer, we found that to be the most successful. All right. The other question that Michael had then was around seed treatments. He said, you often mention 30 plus seed treatments that you're using on your farm. Uh, I don't recall you specifically naming each one and why you use that one. Uh, and here's, here's the basis of my question. One of my local seed dealers purchased their own seed treating machine this year, and I'm looking at buying some soybean seed from them. And I'm also curious, you know, what treatments you're talking about, what you guys are using compared to what my local people offer. I'm guessing that in South Dakota, you may have some different soils and conditions than I have. Uh, he said, I, I'm mainly concerned about a 160-acre farm. I've been farming for about five years. It was CRP for 25 years before I started farming it. Haven't right. had a disease problem. Just wondering what I could do to get my beans up and growing faster. Yeah, so that's where usually we're talking about biologicals. And what we have found, we believe, is working better is combinations. So we used to talk about how we'd had really good success with quick ruts, for example. That was a bacteria, one bacteria, one fungi. Okay, so you got two different biologicals, or we call them naturals a lot of times. Anyway, what we're using now is a product called NutriCycle that's got, what is it, 26 or something different biological strains in there. Um, where We've talked about Heat Shield, for example, that's got four different strains of fungus in there. Uh, so now we're to some of these combinations and that's what we're using more of than anything because we're finding just, well, he made the comment, your soils might be different than mine. I agree. I'm sure they are. In fact, I've probably got 50 different types of soils that we're farming in over 3,000 acres. So what I want to do is have the most chances for success. That's why we're using a number of different biologicals. Thanks for the questions, Michael. Really appreciate that. I'm I'm certain uh, you'll probably have some more follow-up questions. You can definitely send those to us as well, radio at agphd.com. 
Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.